Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. week, um, you asked, many of you asked for uh, me to provide a list uh, that I sort of gave on air off the top of my head. And then um, so many of you asked for the list that I thought, oh, I better actually like not only think about that, but think thoroughly about it and, and put it somewhere. So you asked recently what news sources I rely on in preparing for each one of these morning's broadcasts. And I gave you a summary of those uh, news outlets that I rely on. And I've now aggregated that list and put all the links in there. I tell you what sites I visit. I tell you what emails I read. I tell you what podcasts I listen to. Um, And I've aggregated all of that uh, on a post on my website, reconnectwithcarmen.com. So if you've never visited me, um, on my, you know, my own website, reconnectwithcarmen.com. That's where you need to go if you want to read my post since you asked, news sources I rely on. And I aggregate them there for you. Um, so for those of you who emailed and texted in the follow-up to the show where I sort of rattled them off, um, I have now put them all together there for you. And for those of you who might be interested in um, seeing what I rely on in terms of the primary sources that I turn to day in and day out, week in and week out, they're all there. Now, I also read uh, across secular media sources that I do not list there in that post. Why do I not list them? Um, Because I don't want all of the feedback that you are likely to give me about uh, about those news sources. So just know, um, if it's out there, I'm probably accessing it at some point during the day and certainly during the week. Um, from Fox News to CNN to MSNBC uh, to the New York Times and the Washington Post to the L.A. Times and the Dallas Morning News. Those are uh, to the USA Today. I don't list those in uh, in the sources that I'm relying on from a Christian worldview. So just recognize that. Uh, I also do not list that as my primary secular source. My primary secular source is Axios.com. So Um, I I have all of that aggregated for you on a post called Since You Asked, News Sources I Rely On, and you can find that at reconnectwithcarmen.com. So from one of my go-to news sources, which is uh, World Magazine, which you can find at The World and Everything in it. Well, it's actually theworldandeverything.org. There are two posts there that um, to which I want to direct you today. One of those is the Ask the Editor post. And in that Ask the Editor post, uh, Marvin Olasky, who has joined us here on prior occasion um, uh, here on the show, um, he has a a conversation posted there called Pop Your Media Bubble. And so because Pop Your Media Bubble is an opportunity for us to talk about the sources we rely on and being sure that we are not um, only relying on resources within one particular silo, 
uh, I encourage you to listen to the Ask the Editor post at worldandeverything.org, Marvin Olasky on Pop Your Media Bubble. And then the other one um, would be something to watch over the weekend, and it's a documentary. We referred to it in our conversation with Ben Johnson yesterday from the Acton Institute, but it's also a documentary reviewed by uh, by World Radio, and that review is by Megan uh, Basham. And again, it's Thomas Sowell's Common Sense in a Senseless World. It's an excellent documentary. You can read the review or listen to the review posted there at worldandeverything.org. But you should also, if you have a time and inclination, check out that documentary on Thomas Sowell, Common Sense in a Senseless World. All right, there are some of my media headlines this morning, turning to other media headlines now with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. We'll be right back. Holtz's walk on music and it makes me happy. Adam, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. That is some happy music. You know, not every one of our regular guests has particularly happy music, but yours, yours is very happy. I mean, I, I don't know what to say. Just go with it, I guess. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. So you, um, this is an unusual place for me to uh, read your byline. Um, the yeah. USA Today has an op-ed uh, by Adam Holtz. Yeah. So um, I know that you discussed this topic last week with Peter Kapsner in my absence, but why yes. don't you just give us a little um, a summary of this Disney Plus uh, blocking of some older Disney movies um, because you have a USA Today op-ed uh, posted about it, and that's kind of cool. It is cool. Thank you. Well, uh, about a week and a half ago, Disney announced that they would be blocking four movies, Dumbo, Peter Pan, The Aristocrats, and Swiss Family Robinson from users under seven, year old, seven years old. So that means if you have a profile set up with the parental controls for kids of that age, they will not be able to have immediate access to them without you doing a parental override and Disney's rationale for that was that all of those films include some words and or phrases and or images, um, you know, from, you know, things like uh, natives being called redskins to people in yellow face in Swiss family Robinson and Disney deemed those racial depictions and stereotypes uh, problematic. And, and basically said, we think that kids are going to need some guidance on that. Now, you could say about time, Disney, that you go back and revisit your catalog. You can say Disney has lost your mind, its mind. Um, but the point of my article is basically that ratings and how we think about content, uh, it's always a snapshot of a given cultural moment. And a cultural moment from 40 or 60 or 80 years ago is different than the one we have now. And whether you agree or disagree with Disney's decision, those ratings are always a starting point. They're a jumping off point. They're not the final word. And we have to engage with all kinds of content, even, you know, stuff that we might think or assume is totally innocuous. Uh, we got to do that with wisdom and discernment and help our kids do that. And so I think I was taking a tack that even though 
this may look ridiculous to some on, on the surface, Disney's doing what people who rate content have always done. They're making an assessment uh, based on our cultural moment about what our values are today about stuff that's different, you know, from a long time ago. So take a look. Would love to have you guys uh, take a look at it. All right, let's do some um, let's do some reviews and let's uh, yeah. start with one that's not horrifying and terrifying, right? So uh, <laughs> let's let's start with Ohana. Am yeah. I pronouncing it correctly? I believe so. I am not Hawaiian, but I I believe that's correct. Uh, and it's actually Finding Ohana, and this is a movie that came out on Netflix this week. It is sort of a kinder, gentler um, parallel if you will, to the Goonies. So if you remember the Goonies from back in the day and you tried to watch it recently and you realized it was utterly and completely drenched with profanity, which you had totally forgotten, which we did when we watched it a while back for all of five minutes before we shut it off. Um, This is a movie about a mom and two teens who live in New York City. They travel to Hawaii when her dad has a heart attack. They need to go take care of him. When they get there, they realize he's in dire financial shape and about to lose his house. And the two kids, wouldn't you know it, discover an old legend of a hidden treasure. And so this is a treasure hunting movie. And the two teens recruit a couple more friends and go on a treasure hunt. And whenever you have treasure hunts, of course, you have bad people looking for treasure as well. Just ask Indiana Jones. He knows all about that. Uh, And so, you know, some peril, some conflict, some adventure kind of stuff, a little bit of Hawaiian spiritual folklore that I think is navigable, but you'll want to know that it is there but this is a nice option for families and not too many caveats which is it's nice to be able to point people toward movies like that every now and then um i also appreciate uh, sort of the generational engagement so there are things that the grandfather is grieved that his grandchildren do not know including his native language and so i i think that there are um there are opportunities for conversation here across generations. There's opportunities, I think, here to, you know, call up grandma and grandpa and say, what are the things that you wish I knew? Yeah, um, that and, is, that's a great but, idea. Actually, yeah. I'm going to steal that and do a blog steal on it. it today. I love it. Yeah. Actually, maybe do a video blog with your kids asking their grandparents, what are ah. the things you wish I knew? And then, you know, that would engage maybe, I don't know, more generations than you and me. Just thinking. Wow. I know. I'm a I'm, I'm just here to create more work for you. That's sort of my job. I know. Okay. No, you, and, not really. you and everybody else in my life, but that's another yes. topic. Yes. So <laughs> we're, we, are, uh, we are thankful for Adam Holtz at uh, Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can read what we are talking about today at PluggedIn.com. When we come back, we are going to talk about um, a movie that um, is real and necessary. It's entitled Trafficked, A Parent's Worst Nightmare. Um, We are highlighting trafficking um, here on the show uh, in the lead up to the Super Bowl when there is a massive anti-trafficking effort in the Tampa Bay area. Um, We're highlighting it as an ongoing issue because there are 40 million people around the world who are currently living in some form of modern day slavery. Um, And it's on our watch as Christians. So next up, a review of Trafficked, a parent's worst nightmare. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, continuing my conversation uh, with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. All right, Adam, let's turn to uh, this this movie review that you have posted at Plugged In, Trafficked, A Parent's yeah. Worst Nightmare. 
Um, this is a PG-13 movie that really, I think, does a pretty good job of trying to deal with the difficult issue of sexual trafficking in an accessible way. Um, and if you're not familiar with that phrase, sexual trafficking is essentially people who are trapped by one, you know, in one means or another into providing sexual work for others. Uh, in some cases, it, it, you know, is just absolutely straight up slavery. Um, and actually, in most cases, and, I, and I'm not an expert, so I'm digressing here a little bit. But we might think that this is only a problem in other countries. Uh, and as you mentioned, there are about 40 million people, uh, most of them women, but there are some small, you know, boys that get involved in this too against their will around the world that are involved in this. And in the United States, the estimates are somewhere between 700 and 900,000. So I digress off my digression. This is about a 16 year old girl who meets a guy online. They develop a relationship. She's never met him. He says, Hey, we should meet in person IRL in real life. She goes to meet him. He is not who he has represented himself to be. He kidnaps her and sells her to a sexual trafficking uh, organization. And the point of the movie is to say this can happen to, you know, normal, regular American kids and young women, too. And that for parents, our job is to be vigilant with regard to the way our children are interacting with people we don't know online. Because honestly, you don't know unless you know, have a relationship outside of the computer, who's on the other side of that line and what their intentions might be and how they might be grooming you. Uh, and after that, it takes a, a fairly predictable pseudo action movie kind of turn as the parents go after um, the people who have abducted their child. But I think uh, important movie. I think it does a pretty good job. Uh, obviously, it's a hard subject. Dean Kane of uh, Superman fame from years past is in this one. So uh, I think especially if you'd like to learn more about the issue, this is a dramatic representation of what it can look like uh, and the danger that that is real for our kids out there. So the danger is real. I actually um, had a conversation with a friend now probably three weeks ago, um, and she shared with me uh an incident that happened to uh, friends of hers in New Mexico. Uh, in this case, their teenage son. Um, he is their only biological child, and they have a number of adopted children from um, Native American communities. And what the tr what the person who um, was engaging with him online, uh, which they only discovered after he went and met this person with you know they they had no idea their son was doing you know engaging with someone online they didn't know anything about. Um, they certainly did not know uh, that, you know, he snuck out of his window and went to meet this person um, uh, at, at a truck stop. And um, only when they pinged his phone and saw the phone at the truck stop and went and discovered it lying, you know, in the corner of a booth, did they realize their son had been had been kidnapped by somebody. I mean, like, right here, he had left with somebody from this truck stop on this interstate Man. highway in New Mexico. Um, the story in their case, you know, has a quote unquote happy ending. Law enforcement was engaged and they found their son in Las Vegas just prior to these traffickers selling him internationally. This mm. happens. This yeah, happens. It does. And in this case, you know, the trafficker, the, the person who 
groomed him uh, online in this online relationship and then eventually convinced him to meet, you know, sort of used the the fact that, you know, his parents have these adopted children and, you know, doesn't, you know, you, you, you wouldn't have to share. Um, you wouldn't have to share your your time and affection if you just came to live with me. I mean, it yeah. is out there. It is real. Um, it is happening. So thank you for reviewing the movie Traffic, A Parent's Worst Nightmare. Um, if you guys want to read the review and find out more about it, it's at pluggedin.com. It also reminded me, uh, Adam, uh, of when I talked with author Charles Martin about his book, The Waterkeeper. So if you're a reader and not a watcher, The Waterkeeper is a great novel on this topic that you hmm. uh, could absolutely read with a teenager. It's really accessible. It moves quickly, and it's an excellent read. Um, all right, let's talk about the Super Bowl. Um, and, and the bigger conversation about, uh, sort of why we identify so deeply with sports. Yeah. You know, um, we have a podcast called the plugged in show that we air each week. And this week we talked about exactly what you just said. Uh, obviously it's fun to speculate on what's going to happen in the big game. Um, but sports is a, a huge, multi-billion dollar endeavor. And I think that it's also one that, you know, we talk about entertainment. We might not always think about sports in the same way that we think about movies or or music or other forms of entertainment. But it it absolutely is entertainment. It's a way to engage our time and our energy and our passion. And for some of us, it engages more of our passion than almost anything else in our lives. And so our conversation in the podcast this week was just about when does your passion, your affiliation, your identification with a sports team cross a line from being, you know, a fun, healthy, engaging pastime to something uh, more problematic, something that maybe is beyond the boundaries of where it should be. And and that's admittedly, that's a suggested a subjective question. Um, but I think it's one worth having because I think sometimes sports completely get a pass in our culture as something that we should be thinking about. Um, so uh, that is the, the gist of it. And as we go into the biggest sporting event in America, at least, of the year, I think it's a good time to reflect on what is my relationship with sports? How much time do I devote to watching it, to thinking about it, to doing fantasy sports leagues, to following draft rumors? I mean, it can be pretty all-encompassing if you let it, but it's a little bit of an under-the-radar kind of interest that may not seem particularly problematic. It's also one of those places and spaces where um, betting gets a, gets oh, a pass, yeah. like gambling totally. gets a pass, like right. And, and I mean, the, I know, totally. I know groups of Christians who you know they bet on this game. They don't think about it that way, but that thing where you know you put you put your quarter or your dollar in some box related to some you know this score and that score, these these points and those points. I mean, that's that's betting. It's gambling, and so I just it think it's it. it it enables us to have conversations about really important things. And um, just in the same way that we would probably not encourage Christian families, in fact, we would discourage them from, you know, giving kids a sip of alcohol because it's a gateway um, to drinking. We probably don't want to tip our toe, dip our toe into gambling um, because, you know, frankly, uh, a, a, you know, a cash prize of five bucks following a Super Bowl game as a kid is a lot of, you know, in your mind is a lot of money and it's a, it can be yeah. a gateway to real gambling. It can. And I will also say that, uh, you know, back in the day, 
and and it's something that readers of a certain or listeners of a certain age will will know. Gambling was something that happened in Las Vegas or in New Jersey or Reno. I mean, it really was localized. And for the most part, most of us didn't have a particularly uh, positive association with it. And then we've begun to see it creep in so many ways in our culture from, you know, the lotto, the lottery uh, to, uh, you know, a lot of different places. Um, Native American Indian reservations are a place where it's really sprung up in the last 40 years. But now we have the Internet and now gambling is available, you know, at the click of a button on your smartphone. And so the accessibility of this is, you know, something that we've never seen before. Uh, and the possibility of addiction, I think, is just right there with this problem. Yeah. I mean, there are literally betting networks online and right now they're, you know, giving reduced uh, subscriptions to their services, um, drawing yep. people in. So just something definitely for um, for parents also to be aware of in this season. All right, Adam, we got to leave it right there. Thanks, brother. You guys can find everything we talked about today and so much more at PluggedIn. Dot, oh, see, what is it? Com. <laughs> PluggedIn.com. <laughs> there you go. We'll be right back. Thanks, for Love works. That is the experience and the argument of Joel Manby. You would recognize him um, from a number of locations and and spaces and places. Um, he has served as the CEO of SeaWorld. Uh, he has um, he has served a number of vibrant ministries like Orange. We're going to talk about that as well. But we're going to spend some time talking about his book, Love Works. Seven Timeless Principles for Effective Leaders. It's been um, updated and expanded and reissued. So for those of you who are saying to yourself, hey, I read Love Works. Um, I'm one of the 100,000 people who read that book back in the day. Well, uh, it's a new day, and Joel is joining us to talk about how love works. That's up next for our Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lakato. God has followed us on our journey, but we're quick to turn away. God is slow to anger. He's determined to stay. Sometimes we don't accept God's gifts, but God still gives them. He gives us angels, not just pinned on a lapel, but placed on our path. And most of all, God gives us himself, even when we choose our hovel over his house and our trash over his grace. Still, he follows, never forcing us, never leaving us patiently, persistent, faithfully, present using all of his power to convince us that he is who he is and that he can be trusted to give us new beginnings throughout our journey and in the end lead us home trust your new beginning to him won't you follow the god who follows you all the days of your life this is max Lakato. Manby, author of uh, Love Works, Seven Timeless Principles for Effective Leaders. Joel, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. It's great to be on. I enjoy well, listening to your show. 
Well, thank you. It is, uh, it's a real pleasure to have you here today. You and I could talk about a thousand different um, subject matter lines today. Uh, I grew up in Tampa, so SeaWorld is, um, is certainly uh, a part of uh, right my early knowledge base as a child. Um, and we knew it was about conservation, uh, not about animals performing. And that is a conversation you and I could have at some point in time. Um, we could talk about um, my getting up on a regular basis between three and four in the morning. Um, but you got to have that experience um, at an unusual time and place. Uh, and so um, you are you are a person whose resume is really broad. I'd love to talk with you about Orange as well. So let's jump into the book, Love Works. Lots of people are going to say to themselves, hey, I feel like I read that sometime in the past. So talk with us about this iteration of Love Works. Yeah, this is version two. Uh, the first edition, Carmen, came out in 2012, and uh, I updated it based on my experience at SeaWorld and also some personal uh, difficulties that I had in my life um, that I wanted to share and, and be honest about. So that came out just this spring, and we've been marketing in it. And But, but basically, Carmen, the premise of the book is that love, as Jesus talked about, agape love, can be an incredible leadership principle. And I've been CEO of four different companies over a 25-year period. I feel like I've, I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly of leadership. And I can say definitively, after leading basically 20 years without this knowledge about Love Works and 20 years with that knowledge, that it definitively is the best way to lead. If you care about people loving others in the workplace, it, with agape love, love the verb is the right way to lead. Oh, I'm so glad you said love the verb because I wrote, this was my question or one of my questions. There's lots of verbs in this book, uh, cultivating, <laughs> overcoming, empowering, disarming, um, but even patience, kindness, trust, uh, being unselfish or truthful, forgiving and dedicated. All of those are verbs. Talk about um, the active nature of all of this. Yes. So, you know, a lot of people, when, when I wrote this book, the publisher didn't want me to call it Love Works because, as, as you can imagine, most people in America, when they hear love, they perceive uh, emotional love. They, they, what Americans think of when they watch the movies and romance, emotion. Well, this is not that kind of love. And, and as you probably know, the Greeks have four different words for love. We only have one in English. So it's, it's a language problem. But when Jesus talked about love, at least as it was written in Greek in the New Testament, it was agape. And that is a verb. It's how you treat people. Eros is the romantic love. Uh, Philos is brotherly love. That's what they named Philadelphia after, even though it's not a very friendly, brotherly love city. Um, and then storhe is the love between a parent and a child, but agape is unconditional, and it's how you treat people. So what we did at Hershen, which was the company I worked for, we took 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's favorite, love, very popular verse on love, and we put it into those seven words that you just mentioned. So love is patient, love is kind, it's trusting, it's truthful, it's forgiving, it's dedicated, it's unselfish. And so we basically said to our leaders, this is the kind of leader we want you to be, starting with us. And so we call those our B-goals. And a B-goal is basically, all right, Carmen, what kind of leader do you want to be? What kind of leader does Joel want to be? 
And this is how we defined it. So we had our B goals, which were those seven words, and we had our do goals, which is basically what you do every day to make a profit. You got to get more listeners. You have to whatever your goals are. Those are do goals. So we had B goals and do goals, and they were both equally important in the organization. When we um, I think when we think about work and we think about what works at work, particularly as leaders, we imagine that what happens in the C-suite and the decisions that are made by the CEO um, are are the culture. But what I witness in the book and in your testimonies in the book and the stories that you tell is that there um, there is a role that every individual plays in the cultivation of this kind of work culture, this this kind of environment. Can you talk a little bit about that and how a leader might deal with an internal love saboteur, like a person who just runs contrary to this at every point? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a very critical point that you brought up. Certainly the C-suite can set the overall tone of the organization, and we put the beagles and doodles to place, but it's going to fall flat on its face if it's not integrated into the culture of the whole organization. Um, Basically, there's lots of processes that go behind what we're talking about here, and there have to be metrics of basically people are evaluated although subjectively, on these seven words. So in our annual reviews, we would talk to people about whether they are adhering to these seven principles or not. And so when you had a rogue person like you're speaking of, then we would absolutely go to that person and be truthful. One of the, one of the words is being truthful. And if in, uh, I have found, frankly, in most Christian organizations or nonprofits that I've been on the board of or been involved in, that they tend to miss on the truthful part. We, we want to be so nice to each other that we don't have those tough conversations. And if I had to pick one word for the Christians I've worked with, it's to be more truthful, including myself. Um, so when rogue people would happen, it was important to confront them, but also for me to be confronted. Because look, people are intimidated by the CEO. They often won't be honest. And I would insist to my team, please tell me when I have not adhered to these seven values. And, and, and I knew the culture was working, Carmen, when my own team would come into my office after a meeting when I had lost my temper or you know, was too hard on somebody in front of other people that, that I knew the culture was working because they confronted me. And um, I'll, I'll just give one example to you that you said the word patience, which is one of the most misunderstood words of the seven. It's not about being patient with poor performance. It's about being patient and how you handle really troubling situations to not lose your cool, but mostly to praise in public and to admonish in private. Because I've seen so much damage done to people when they are admonished publicly in front of other people, ridiculed, bullied, and it happens more than we think. And And so one of our cultural pieces was not to do that. And if someone did degrade somebody in public, they were held accountable. They were called to the, to the woodshed, so to speak. So you're very right that it's, it's critical that this, this permeates out of the whole organization by talking about it, reviewing it. I mean, we would spend just as much time talking about the people results as we did the financial results. And that's very rare in any company. I can tell you that. 
For those of you who are listening and you're saying to yourself, hey, the bottom line matters. Yes, Joel talks about that as well. Um, He recognizes that. That's a critical uh, component part of this conversation. The book is Love Works, Seven Timeless Principles for Effective Leaders. I have copies uh, to give away. If, um, If you're listening right now and you are an organizational leader and you say to yourself, wow, I don't know how love works at work and my working environment is not working and I would like to see it transformed in a way that's redemptive. This is the book that you've been waiting for us to highlight on the show. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Joel and I are going to be right back. Um, I want you to uh, to connect with him at joelmanby.com. Um, he's on all the socials. And we're also going to talk about Think Orange. Um, because uh, it's an organization that I love and uh, want to be sure we highlight today. So we'll be right back. Say no to my down castle. Say no to the lies I tell myself. Say no to my down castle. Yeah, love is lifting me. Continue my conversation with Joel Manby, uh, among other things, the author of Love Works, Seven Timeless Principles for Effective Leaders. And yes, I've got a handful of copies to give away today. If you'd like to enter the drawing, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Joel, I uh, I loved chapter eight on forgiveness. Um, I have dog-eared it and underlined it and um, am thinking about ways to share portions of it um, with some folks who I think uh, are in particular need of that in, uh, in their own life. Um, I also really appreciated chapter nine, dedicated, you know, sticking to your values in all circumstances. Um, I'd love for you to just maybe share a little bit of your personal experience. Um, I'm going to describe you as a person who experienced some cancel culture before the rest of us knew much about what that uh, what that means. Um, yes. And can you would you be willing to just share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So what Carmen's referencing is my time at SeaWorld. I was CEO of SeaWorld during some of their most difficult periods. Um, Most of your listeners will know about Blackfish. It was a documentary that was very negative about SeaWorld. It was 5% true, but 100% effective. And it it destroyed our sales over a three or four year period. And there was also legislation against us in California to to basically wipe out our business model, which uh, had a lot of traction. And so we uh, we had PETA and other organizations attacking our company on, a, on an ongoing basis. And it was really difficult. I mean, they would protest our parks every single weekend. They would try to keep customers out of the park. Uh, some some threatened violence. I mean, certainly my life was threatened, my children. Um, I'm not sure. That, I can't say that was PETA for sure, but it was definitely some animal activists. But what what I had to learn, Carmen, is that it wasn't me personally, I had to try to forgive them. They, they had good intentions. I mean, look, I, I love animals. SeaWorld is a great animal organization. We could debate that for a long, long time back and forth. But I had to just understand that they were trying to do what they thought was right. I couldn't spend my days angry and, and just hateful towards them because it would make me ineffective as a leader. What I ended up doing, and there's a good chapter in the book, in the second version of the book, I actually reached out and partnered with one of our quote-unquote enemies, which was the Humane Society of the United States, and Wayne Pacelli was their CEO. We were seen as enemies in our own organizations because they would attack us, and we didn't like what they said. But we forged a relationship, and we started dialoguing. And as 
always happens when you dialogue with someone you don't agree with, you find that you actually do agree on a lot of things. And we forge a relationship and a partnership. We were going to end breeding anyway because it was going to get legislated out in California and everything was going to move east. But we decided to make a proactive decision and end orca breeding at our other parks because we felt it was just inevitable with legislation. And But we made that announcement with the Humane Society's support. Our, our ratings, our distrustworthy ratings, completely reversed in a 48-hour period after that announcement. And our sales started coming back because people started trusting us again that we were making the right decision. So I think it's a good example of, you know, I, I wish our politicians of today would kind of look at the model that Wayne and I um, exemplified. In fact, uh, Gail King, uh, who is on CBS Good Morning, when we were on her show announcing this decision, said, I wish politicians would behave more like you two gentlemen did in this situation, because we can find common ground. In our politics, it becomes so segmented, so vile, so, so hateful, that I'm just afraid we're not going to make any progress here. If you don't sign up with the current agenda that's in Washington, you know, you're you're cast out. And so I feel we are a good example of love works in that situation. All right. There's no way we can get to the content related to Orange. So can I just go ahead and um, boldly ask you on air to come back and talk about Orange sometime? Oh, man, I would love I would love to talk more. There's okay. so much we didn't get a chance to talk about. But so can, here's can where I say, do I have time for one comment on the book that that I really yeah, want? Well, I really wanted you to. I so I so totally wanted you to tell people about Judy Ward. <laughs> Judy Ward is it was an administrative assistant. But she's a perfect example of, uh, even though, quote unquote, entitled, she's only administrative assistant, which is is a poor way to say it because they're so important. But she was a cultural giant within Dollywood, which is Dolly Parton's theme park. And we ran that for Dolly. And by the way, Dolly is an amazing human being. And, and uh, she is she's the real deal. Um, Judy had more culture impact than almost anybody in that organization. She would. She would know everybody's birthday. She would know if somebody was sick. She would send out emails for prayer. And I just was encouraging people and all your listeners that no matter where you are in a culture, in a company, or in a, in a family, I mean, these principles work for your family, you can have a positive impact on a loving environment. And I want to encourage your listeners, because I, I wrote this book because 20 years in the auto industry as a believer, I thought there had to be a better way to lead. And all I saw in the auto industry was mostly bullying, fear tactics, autocratic leadership. And when I came to Hirsch and Entertainment and learned about Love Works and the numbers do work, by the way, which is another whole discussion we could have, the numbers definitely work. I found out that there's a lot of people who have this angst. You know, when we were on Undercover Boss, 20 million people saw our show. I got inundated with letters of people like your listeners saying, I want to know a better way to lead. And that's mm -hmm. why I wrote the book. And people need to see it witnessed and they need to see it exemplified out there. So I just wanted to get that point across that that's why this book was written. If any of your listeners feel, I got it, I, I want better leadership, I want to be part of a better team that loves other people, this is a, a good book to read. 
Yeah, at every at every level of any organization. The book is Love Works, Seven Timeless Principles for Effective Leaders. Joel Manby is a brother in Christ. He is the author. He also um, works with an organization called Orange. Let me just go ahead and say you can find it at thinkorange.com, and he and I will return to that subject on a later date. Joel, what a delight. Yep. Thank you so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. Loved it. Appreciate it. Total joy. All right. If you're interested in the book, uh, text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the handful we have to give away. We'll be right back. Okay. My encouragement today is going to be to find something and someone to celebrate. Find something and someone to celebrate today. God is good and we are his. Um, some simple act of kindness, some moment of generosity of spirit, forgiveness, thanksgiving. Do something that surprises someone else. Um, you're going to do it motivated out of just a generosity of spirit and love. Um, and the other person is going to see your good works. And they are, they are going to glorify God who is in heaven. So go be shiny today. Um, find some excuse to do something positive um, and make the world a little bit better place. Have a great. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.